0: It should be clear to customers what you're doing with the data. Then on top of that, there are going to be much more stringent requirements from a regulatory perspective on when data is actually used to make decisions. And that in a finance context becomes particularly challenging. And companies have found themselves in hot water a number of times.
1: Welcome back to Conversations with Zendesk, where we explore new technology and trends in customer experience each episode, we speak with industry innovators and experts to hear their thoughts, unpack industry trends, and discuss the most important ideas around CX. I'm your host, Nicole Saunders. Today's conversation is with Jeremy Kingsley, head of strategic foresight at Economist Impact, the in-house think tank of The Economist Group, and publisher of The Economist newspaper. He also leads Impact's research on technology and innovation. Jeremy advises and helps organizations navigate technological change and its impacts on society, and has spent more than 15 years covering technology trends, innovation policy, and business issues as a journalist, researcher, and consultant. His writing and analysis has appeared in Wired, The Economist, and The Financial Times. Coming up in this episode, we explore several topics related to AI, some of the ways that jobs may evolve, how to experiment with it responsibly, and the need for transparency around how companies are using artificial intelligence. Stay tuned to hear our conversation. Ready to take your customer experiences to the next level? Build lasting relationships with Zendesk's complete customer service solution so that you can exceed every customer's expectations. Sign up for a free trial at zendesk.com. Jeremy Kingsley, welcome to Conversations with Zendesk. How are you today?
0: Good. Very good. Thank you. Thanks for having us on.
1: So glad to have you here. So you do a lot of research and writing in the space of AI. I'd love to have you tell us a little bit just about what are some of your areas of focus that you have been really thinking and researching about over the last couple of months.
0: I have two hats, one of which is leading our work on strategic foresight, which is all about helping organizations think about the future and uh, how it might play out. And the others that I lead our research on tech and innovation, right? And so there is no greater tech and innovation trend that is impacting on the future at the moment than AI. So a lot of our thinking at the moment is focused on that, how the technology is developing, how it might change our economy and society and what we should do to govern and shape its adoption.
1: I understand from some of our previous conversations that financial services is one of the areas where you've seen some of the earliest innovation and adoption of AI technologies. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you're seeing there and why is that the industry where that is starting to kick off the most?
0: Finance has always been an industry that's been an early adopter of AI and technology in general, right? Companies in that industry already have lots of data. They employ lots of data scientists, and they're working on these sorts of problems, the sort of problems that AI can help with, like fraud, for a long time. And there's incentives to do so. There's, you know, to, to save money, to stop losing money, to crack down on money laundering and things like that. There, these are things that, you know, 90% of money laundering goes undetected. And so AI is hugely beneficial at, at doing that when you can spark and you can start to see how things are different from that. So. You see a lot of use and you have done for several years now in fraud, sorting legitimate from fraudulent transactions. You can draw on decades of of data on customer purchase habits, et cetera. And all of that is saving banks money and also offering better customer experience, right? The use of not blocking as many legitimate transactions as you go along. And there are other areas as well, right? They're using data from customers to predict credit risk, you know, huge rise in using non-traditional forms of data to assess creditworthiness of people and give cheaper loans. And then, you know, dipping their toe into generative AI like everyone else.
1: Are there things that you have seen come out of that industry so far that have had ripple effects for other sectors or other kinds of businesses?
0: AI has been used in businesses across the board for a long time, right? It's in social media feeds, it's in our product recommendations and translation, voice recognition, et cetera. And it is now capturing the attention of a lot of different businesses who are not as data heavy because of tools like generative AI that open up all this unstructured data for them to play with. And this presents itself as a bit of a more obvious opportunity at risk for businesses to take advantage of. So we're seeing a lot of businesses thinking about how they can take some of these generative AI models, complement it with their own data, right? Fine tuning those models, making models that are better suited to their particular purposes, niche purposes may be tailored to understanding the jargon or processes of what they do. So we're seeing individually a lot of companies doing that, but also a lot of companies looking to cater to the particular needs of different industries. So we see that mostly in sort of back office functions within businesses. That's where we see most of the activity, most of the job disruption in the short to medium term.
1: So thinking about the financial services sector, we're dealing with money right? And so I understand that there are really high needs for data regulation and privacy in that space. Tell me a little bit about what is happening right now around data protection and regulation in the AI space.
0: Well, I think we're seeing a big shift in the way we think about the data we share online, right? I mean, just in a consumer context, people have been sharing data in return for free services, social media accounts and email and you know, free maps and things like that. But now there's a sort of different kind of exchange going on, right? Companies, the sort of open AI's, AI the large language models in this world. They're taking your data to train these AI models that you don't necessarily get an immediate return from, right? There's often those services that you have to pay for and people might worry that they may be even sort of automating them out of a job, right? By its ability to imitate what you do. So value exchange is like a really interesting question. That means the regulators are waking up to think about, well, you need to be clear on and transparent on how you're using people's data, right? I mean, consumers are waking up to it, but regulators are playing a role in ensuring customers have a meaningful choice on how their data is used and that companies are transparent in what they're doing.
1: Have you seen any companies that are doing a particularly good job of being transparent with those things, because I I imagine every organization is trying to figure out what is the best practice. Any examples that you would point to in the industry?
0: I don't think it's rocket science, right? To be clear on what data you're using. So just to say, whether this is data that we're going to be using to train an AI model or whether you're using an AI bot and you need to disclose that, it should be clear to customers what you're doing with the data. Then on top of that, There are going to be much more stringent requirements from a regulatory perspective on when data is actually used to make decisions. And that in a finance context becomes particularly challenging. And companies have found themselves in hot water a number of times. Apple's an example of this. Apple was accused of gender bias in extending some of its credit lines. They're found to be offering more credit to men than to women, right? And that actually comes up against a pretty clear set of regulation. Companies are not allowed to discriminate existing laws, cover that, right? But the trouble is why an AI makes a decision. It does. And it might not even be clear to the providers of that AI, the biases in the data, right? But from a regulatory perspective and a consumer perspective, you want to have recourse to understand how a decision is being made and to make sure that it is fair. And that's a big part of what regulators are are thinking about when it comes to AI. It's about ensuring that the process is transparent and it's also explainable if things are going to be these high-risk applications or sort of high-important applications like credit scoring.
1: That's a great example. And I think it points to the need to have checks and balances with these technologies and make sure that you have QA processes you know, even if you're not as in as highly scrutinized a field as financial services, we do want to make sure that we're checking the outputs of these technologies and that they're correct and they're serving our customers appropriately. Your example of Apple makes me think about how this impacts companies that are global, right? Larger organizations. And I know that there are different kinds of data regulations in the US versus the European Union, even versus some of the countries in Asia. Can you speak to me a little bit about what some of those approaches are from different countries and different regions
0: of the world? The pace of development of AI and the diversity of risks that it presents poses a huge problem for regulators, right? So there's a whole spectrum of risks that they're worried about from bias and data privacy and security through to job displacement, misinformation, through to big questions about existential risk. And so... Regulators are scrambling with quite a few different responses to some of these questions, including data protection. One view is, you know, we have a lot of laws already that govern this. We don't need AI-specific legislation. We have laws against discrimination. We have laws to enshrine privacy. Doesn't make sense to regulate a technology specifically. And so a lot of that does cover some of our existing thinking around data protection that companies will be used to, the same things broadly apply. On the other end, you have more AI-specific legislation. That's the approach of the EU. And so there's an AI Act, which has been years in the making and is nearing completion now. And that is regulating by levels of risk. So if you're entering as an organization, you've got to be thinking about what level of risk is relevant to your operations, right? Within that framework, the highest risk applications of AI are just going to be banned out, right? That's things like predictive policing or uh, emotion recognition and things like that. But there is a category of high risk applications where there is a risk to safety or a risk to human rights, as they see it, that AI's use and data's use has to meet certain requirements around transparency and explainability. So those are things like hiring and credit scoring and decisions that will impact people's health. All of those decisions can't be made exclusively with an AI without high standards of explainability and transparency. And that is, given the way the technology works, actually a pretty high bar to reach just because it's inherently quite difficult to look under the hood into the black box and understand how the technology reaches a decision. So that's going to be a a big impact to when it comes online in a couple of months, maybe, that companies will have to think about what they're doing. When it comes to thinking about it from a business perspective, you've got to wonder what legislation you're going to be having to adhere to if you're a global business. There are different regimes around the world. Previously, it's been the case that the EU has a, what's called a Brussels effect, that it has uh, influenced the way companies operate right around the world. Companies just find it easier to just adhere to the strictest regulations, so they don't have to have different products in different markets. And regulators tend to actually just follow the model that the EU takes. But there's a lot of controversy around it. There's a lot of feeling that maybe the EU is overreaching with some of this legislation. Maybe they'll go too far. And you could end up with quite a fractured regulatory environment, which make it quite a lot harder for companies to operate because you might want to train your models this way in one place, have these transparency requirements somewhere else. So it's something that companies are going to have to be paying a lot of attention to. And it can be a bit of a regulatory headache.
1: Sounds like it. From what you have seen so far, do you see that businesses are taking these things into consideration or is the excitement and the momentum behind AI driving people to start to implement things and then have to go back and review everything to make sure it's been done properly and securely?
0: Well, you're definitely seeing this land grab for data, right? And that is getting some companies into hot water. You can see the value that it can present, but you've seen what happened to Zoom. They got into a lot of trouble recently for revealing that they were going to use the data, the transcripts from your private conversations to help train its AI model for purposes that were not even clear. I don't think even if they would be clear on how they might plan to use it in the future. And that caused a pretty strong consumer backlash, right? And they walked it back quite quickly to their credit. So you can see that there is a line that consumers are are drawing themselves, let alone where regulators want to step in. Generally, the consumer feelings are the things that you should be paying attention just as much to. Um, but overall, the, the regulatory principles are going to be clear on this as well. It's pretty clear you just need to be transparent on how AI is used, when content is going to be AI generated, when people are interacting with the robot, and particularly if a decision is going to be made by an AI. And if you're going to be using your own data, you've just got to be aware of things like the bias that might be inherently there and where you might be discriminating as a result.
1: So, of course, a lot of this sounds like the kinds of things that companies would service in a terms of service. But we also know that most people don't read those super closely. They click, yeah, OK, except let's go on and use the technology. Do you think it's important that companies find other ways to make it more apparent, for example marking on a chat, but hey, you're talking to an AI right now. This isn't a human or those kinds of things. What do you think is the level of transparency and consumer friendliness of that transparency? What seems to you to be the right level for that?
0: I think just intuitively, you want it to be not hidden away in the terms of the service. And in fact, the way the regulators say about it is that it needs to be a meaningful Choice and needs to be meaningfully made apparent. It can't be hidden in the terms of service that you're doing these kinds of things. Certainly, if you're going to be taking data from others. So, yes, you want to be crystal clear on when these things are being used in that way.
1: It sounds like organizations may have to start to develop new teams and new competencies around how to regulate, how to QA these technologies. Have you seen any of that kind of activity happening so far, or are most organizations leaning into their? existing legal teams and things like that right now?
0: We're certainly seeing that the compliance aspects are a big headache for companies, particularly multinationals that are working across borders. And these things not ladder up to chief data officers and chief legal officers working together on these issues. So I wouldn't say it's providing new new teams, but it is top of the agenda.
1: Through your reporting and through all of your research, you get to interact with a whole bunch of different organizations that are using AI. What are some of the most compelling or interesting things that you have seen to date?
0: I think we're still at this really early stage with AI adoption, right? Where I think we're seeing companies take it off the shelf, they're figuring it out, they're experimenting, and actually very little of that is still public. At least when we're talking about the generative AI that is capturing everyone's attention. I think it's interesting, and going um, to be more disruptive when we're thinking about generating new products, new business model, and things like that. And the examples where you see that seems to be where companies themselves are more under threat by the threat of AI, right? And they're having to pivot what they're doing to create something new. So there are you know, several examples in the education space. You've seen companies like Duolingo, who you know create a learning platform for learning languages. They have felt that they're under threat from these generative AI models and have pivoted to, to create a kind of virtual tutor. Khan Academy has done a similar thing. And in fact, I don't know if you know the learning platform Chegg, which has a terrible name, but it seems to be basically a platform for cheating on your homework. But that used to be a platform that was, you know, allowing students to pay to have someone write their term paper. And that was something that was completely thrown into crisis by the advent of ChatGPT because why would you pay for that when you couldn't just use ChatGPT to write a exam paper for you? And so they lost 50% of their stock value and disappeared into the ether until they realized that they've got all this incredible data that they can work with, right? They've got years and years of creating term papers and answering questions from students. And so, what can they do with that data to create a kind of a virtual tutor? And you think about how the education system might be changing, and that actually, term papers are not going to be how students are going to be assessed. What really matters is new ways so that they will learn. And so, they've set themselves up to actually ride that wave of disruption in a more interesting way with the AI. All those companies who are thinking about how they actually rethink quite more fundamental business models and generate new products is going to be where we see more interesting innovation.
1: So it goes a lot beyond just gaining new efficiencies, making chatbots better, and really, as you said, fundamentally rethinking how you're operating and how these technologies might influence that.
0: It's going to be really interesting to see in time how we re-engineer industries around AI, right? I mean, if we think about big systems like education or healthcare, these systems that have been quite slow to actually transform as a result of technology. We have this incredible technology that can, you know, in education to use education again, deliver personalized learning, right? Understand individuals needs their learning gaps. It can understand their learning styles, but our education system isn't quite equipped to deal with that, right? It still teaches in front of students in classrooms that that look the same as they did a hundred years ago. So some of this disruption that we're seeing, you know, realizing that we need to change how we do exams might jolt us into rethinking about the bigger picture a bit. And that's going to require innovation around not just the technology, but the way we think around the coordination of the wider system. So that's what I'm really excited to see, what we might actually do in areas like education and healthcare and things like that in the future.
1: It sounds like there could be a lot of really significant ripple effects from the technology in terms of not just how an organization operates, but really how the whole system works. You know, we've heard a lot of different concerns about AI. Some of them are real, some of them are exaggerated. Based on what you're seeing, what are you worried the most about in this space right now?
0: I think they're very real worries that pre-exist, the conversations around generative AI, around bias and discrimination and privacy, security, that shouldn't be treated any differently now. And I think we know what to do about those and we should act on them. I'm less concerned about the bigger risks that people talk about existential risks and robot takeovers. I think we're a long way from that. I'm probably most concerned about the stuff that's in the middle, which is around misinformation and disinformation. I look at the power of the technologies around generative AI, it is mostly in the ability to make stuff up, to just generate content at scale. And used in the wrong hands, that can have extremely worrying effects. And I think that's probably where regulators need to speed up the most to pay attention with the the election. In the US coming up and elections around the world, this could be a really powerful force to reshape our world in some pretty nasty ways. When we erode our ability to tell good information from bad.
1: Do you worry about that in your space as a journalist?
0: I'm not so worried about job disruption. If you look at the way technology automation usually goes, you tend not to see these large em- employment shocks, right? Jobs evolve, new ones emerge, and, and the, sort of the net effect is pretty minimal. AI will come and and automate a percentage of your job and augment your job in interesting ways and probably actually make things more interesting. I think, and to your question about the sort of publishing and information industry, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there and, you know, but people will always value facts and original reporting, which is something that AI will still for now struggle with on the ground reporting.
1: I agree with you. I think that those technologies really do have the potential to make a lot of jobs more interesting, better, right? And my hope is that many organizations will use the efficiencies that AI can drive to free up people to do more meaningful work, maybe do more complex work, expand the capabilities of the business. So it's not just about cost savings, but really about how can you take the workforce you have and do more with it.
0: Something that you see all the time, right? If an AI boosts your productivity, you can cut workers or you can use it to produce more. If you make something more efficient, we tend to actually do it more and those jobs change and they get usually at a higher order of creativity. And hopefully you'll see that more jobs will emerge in the future. As I said, that is the way it usually goes, right? If you see, even when we can automate things quite substantively, it doesn't necessarily mean that we do. When ATMs were first introduced, right, in the 1980s, it put bank tellers out of a job, but actually the number of bank tellers increased because banks found that they could open more branches because it was cheaper to do so with an ATM, and they would have tellers to do the more complex, higher order tasks on site. And so you actually ended up of more of them, right? The same is true of accountants, financial analysts. We have many more of them than we used to, decades ago, despite the fact that work has been automated. So work changes. I don't expect AI to be any different.
1: Those are excellent examples and really great points. And I I hope that leaves everybody feeling hopeful. I know that it's been a big question in the space of customer support. And a lot of people are wondering, you know, is AI going to put support agents out of work? And I certainly am increasingly seeing a lot of talk about well, how can we repurpose the agents that are doing routine tasks and bring them into the more complex things? Because there's always going to be a level of engagement that the bots can't do, and that you're going to need a human touch for.
0: Certainly, in that context, right? I think that's absolutely true. When I'm saying that's always the way it's been, it's uh, there is an assumption that's the way it's always going to be. There is a question of whether AI is different, right? There is more and more that a computer can do. So, you know, there's less higher order more complex work for us. So maybe the negative view is that we hit a ceiling, right? But, you know, even though our human needs are infinite, our capabilities aren't in some way. I think one of the reasons it's unnerving is that you can see which jobs are at risk, but you can't see so clearly what those future jobs look like. So I realize it creates unused people, but the historical precedent should be that jobs will change and hopefully get richer and more interesting But we'd have to shape them to do that, right? I mean, another thing to say about job disruption is that even if we can automate jobs, doesn't mean that we will or we should. And that values come into play as well, right? We can automate much of the work that nurses do and teachers do very easily, but we choose society not to do that because we value the human touch. There's a sort of coaching element or other aspects to that that are important to us, to our society. And so it's up to us to shape it that way. And, you know, in fact, you also see it in the writer's strike in the US at the moment, that there's a role for unions to play and organizations like that to fight for the importance of the human aspect of what they do. So that this AI is a big component in the writer's strike at the moment. So people will fight for their share of the spoils of automation and we as a society will shape the jobs that make AI work for us.
1: It's key to remember that we do have a role to play as consumers and as workers in shaping how these technologies come into play in our space. So we've talked a bit about different industries, the direction AI is going, some regulatory pieces, and a lot about how this might disrupt jobs. This is a lot for businesses to be thinking about. If you were in a room full of industry leaders and they were asking you, you know, what should we be focused on? What should we be thinking most about? Are there any key things that you would recommend people be making sure they're paying attention to as they're thinking about bringing these technologies into their businesses?
0: The one thing they should be doing is experimenting with this technology, right? I think that there is some disruption that is going to be inevitable in all sectors, but they should be doing it. Carefully and responsibly as they do it, right? Generative AI particularly throws up all kinds of opportunities to throw unstructured data at it and see what you can do with it, see what it can reveal. You should do that, right? And think about how your business could be disrupted from first principles with this technology. But ultimately, the innovations that you come up with, they're going to have to be useful or don't bother with it. I think there are some limitations to generative AI in particular that we will hit, Right. That this, the technology still has huge limitations in hallucination and so on. That's a real problem. But from the sort of regulatory angle and in terms of thinking about doing this responsibly, I think as we discussed, there are some pretty key and pretty clear things that they should bear in mind, which is to be transparent and to be clear on how AI is used, when it is used and be aware of the quality of the data you're using, be respectful of privacy ensure that data capture is opt-in. People are showing an increasing resistance to being scraped and so on. So I wouldn't build a business that relies on scraping your data on the slide without permission.
1: So it sounds like what we need to be doing is experimenting, doing it responsibly, doing it transparently, and being ready for some bigger seismic shifts that are going to be the downstream impacts of these technologies.
0: 100%.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Jeremy. This has been a fascinating conversation and I look forward to speaking to you again sometime in the future.
0: Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a great conversation.
1: In our next episode, I'll be speaking with Zendesk's own Paulette Chafe about how IT leaders are approaching AI and what we've learned from a recent survey of IT leaders around the topic. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend or colleague, or you could write us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening and for being a part of our community. You can always join the conversation at zendesk.com slash community or connect with other Zendesk users through our user group meetups. Find one for you at usergroups.zendesk.com. Until next time, I'm Nicole Saunders for Zendesk, the intelligent heart of customer experience. Ready to take your customer experiences to the next level? Build lasting relationships with Zendesk's complete customer service solution so that you can exceed every customer's expectations. Sign up for a free trial at Zendesk.com.